Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi, everyone. This is Emily Hagen, and welcome back to Medicus. Hi, I'm Nikki Ganeshan and a new member of uh, Medicus. So now that match day 2023 has occurred earlier this month, fourth year medical students who matched now know where they're headed for their next step in their medical training. Today, we are back with another episode for our MS4 Perspective series. Through this series, we interview fourth year medical students about their specialty choices their paths, and their advice for students interested in entering that specialty field. In today's episode, we are interviewing a fourth-year medical student at Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. We are excited to speak with Elizabeth Drews, who is pursuing internal medicine residency at the Medical University of South Carolina. So Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We would first like to get to know a bit more about yourself and take us through your journey in medicine thus far. Sure. So I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska, and it sounds very cliche, but I was always one of those people that growing up, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Like my mom saved my kid stethoscope from Fisher Price and she's nailing it to me for graduation. Like I just kind of always knew. Um, I was always really interested in science. Like I remember in third grade finishing my schoolwork really quickly in the classroom because we had these health encyclopedias and I would go like grab one and sit in a corner and read. That's just the type of kid that I was. Um, but growing up, obviously being able to get into medical school is a challenge and there's many tests along the way, both academic and then outside of school and then thinking about like the lifelong commitment that this career kind of imposes on people. And so I went to college at Baylor University in Texas, where I studied biology and Spanish and did my honors thesis in the sociology department. And along the way, I did a lot of um, service work within the community of Waco. It's a very underserved area. Um, A lot of rural areas, even Some people that don't have electricity still live in the outskirts of the town. So I spent a lot of time there at a federally qualified health center, um, which kind of furthered my passion for more equality within medicine for all patients, as well as just being able to see what the day-to-day life of physicians was like. And then that just reiterated for me that medicine was the career I wanted to pursue But obviously, as things got hard within undergrad, there was times where I considered, like, should I be not a doctor? You know, should I do something else? But I just always went back to those moments where I felt most validated and kind of like the type of person that I wanted to be when I grew up. And that was shown through the physician role models that I had met along the way. And then I finished undergrad in three and a half years. Um, I applied to medical school as like a traditional applicant. I didn't take any gap years. And so by the time I graduated in college in December, I already knew that I was accepted. 
And so I went back to Nebraska actually and worked as a barista for six months just to enjoy that little time of my life before starting medical school at Stritch. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your journey to medicine. And I think you highlighted a lot of really good lessons for people pursuing and con- and considering pursuing medicine and trying to find really good physician mentors, as you mentioned, to help guide you. It sounds like you've been able to do that really well. Yeah, that was really great to hear, you know, what brought you here. So now, uh, I think in your intro, we mentioned you um, just matched to internal medicine um, in South Carolina, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, do you mind taking us through your decision to go into internal medicine? What led you to pursue that specific specialty? Sure. So when I was entering medical school, I was really interested in general primary care. I really liked being able to handle a lot of different problems for a patient, which I think being a generalist lends itself really well to. But the more time that I spent in clinics throughout medical school, the more I realized that the clinic workflow was not something that I could sustain for a 30 plus year career. Um, So that aspect of primary care, I just could no longer do. But when I got on my internal medicine clerkship, I realized that being a general hospitalist had a lot of the qualities that I was looking for that I was still able to see in that career field. So as a hospitalist, you're still managing multiple problems for the patient. You're the patient's primary doctor. When they are like on an inpatient stay, you're the one that they're turning to for the answers of, okay, what are all these specialists doing? You know? Um, And that's, kind of what I saw modeled through the physicians that I worked with in my internal medicine clerkship. And that's what ultimately led me to pursue internal medicine. The day-to-day of it, I could really see myself doing for a long time, as well as I loved the morning reports. That's so cliche. That sounds so internal medicine, but sitting back and thinking of like a patient case and hearing it presented to you and going through all of the differentials in your head of what, what, what could this be? You know, I think it's the ultimate mystery and I do love a good mystery. And I think internal medicine lends itself really well to exploring what may be unexplored and what other people can't find an answer to. That's amazing. The ultimate mystery. I'm going to take that with me. Yeah. As an M1, you know, we're still trying to figure that whole path out. So hearing you sort of talk about your journey, it's, it's been really cool. So were you ever deciding between one or more specialties? Was it always internal medicine? Was there something on the back burner or like also piqued your interest? Yes. So I, when I was doing my M3 rotations, I did not have internal medicine until the second semester. So it wasn't until the later half of third year that I really knew what I was going to do with my life. In the first half of third year, I really enjoyed OB-GYN. I you know, it's like holistic women's health. You get to address a lot of problems for that patient population. I liked the mix of different practice settings. And I also really enjoyed psychiatry because you get to know your patients really well, just like you do in internal medicine. They tell you things that they might not tell anyone else. Um, 
And that was something I really appreciated about both of, or both of those fields, honestly, because OB-GYN patients are very vulnerable with their physicians as well. Ultimately, what led me to kind of pick internal medicine over the others was for OB-GYN, I, I'm okay with going the rest of my life without being in the operating room. That's okay with me. And for psychiatry, I wanted, I, I thought that I was going to miss more of the medical aspects of, you know, managing patients' cardiac standpoint and like thinking about their kidney function. And I, I thought that that was something that I would miss long-term. And I also knew that within all fields of medicine, you're going to still be taking care of patients with psychiatric illnesses. That's never something that's going to go away. And a good internist should be able to manage basic psychiatric medicine. So I knew that I would still be getting that as well. That was great insight. Thank you. Yeah. What do you think are possibly some stereotypes or assumptions relating to internal medicine? I know that as medical students working in the hospital or or even pre-clinical years before we get to the hospital, we have perhaps some preconceived notions of certain specialties. And so do you think that there is truth to any of such stereotypes of internists based on your experiences so far? And if so, do you think that you are someone who might have some of those stereotypes as well? Yeah. Um, So I think there's a few stereotypes that stand out about IM with varying levels of truth. The first is that I think internal medicine has a very nerdy stereotype, which I think is rooted in truth. I don't think like everyone in internal medicine is a typical nerd who you would consider that like, as you would consider that, but it does draw people that are interested in reading and studying and like it's a field where you get paid to think you know if you're doing general internal medicine your bread and butter is not doing procedures and doing hip replacements it's you're paid to consider the patient and sit and think about it which lends itself to people that enjoy that type of work but i also think internists are people with full lives much more than just you know academic research and writing notes i think that there's a lot more to the story than than that stereotype. I think one of the big stereotypes about internal medicine is the long rounding hours, people spending hours and hours on rounds, which has varying levels of truth. I've worked with a lot of different attendings and I've had a lot of different experiences. So I think the one big thing about that is in your training, you're going to have a variety of experiences with how long you're going to be rounding. But ultimately, when you're the practicing attending physician, it's up to you how you're going to make your workday flow. So you're not always going to be rounding for four hours a day, every day and standing. And I guess one other thing I would add about rounding is that there's a lot of careers where internal medicine is the residency that you take to go onto a fellowship where you have very minimal rounding, you know? So there's internists who become GI doctors or cardiologists and they have clinic and then they do procedures in the hospital. And so their rounding time is different. So not everybody who goes in internal medicine is rounding all day, every day. I think that's all I have for that question. Sounds good. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about 
the length of rounds. I know from multiple conversations I've had with my non-internal medicine friends, such as those pursuing surgery, that one of the main reasons why they didn't love their IM rotations was because of their rounds experience and how in surgery, as we know from both having done our surgery rotations, that the rounds are quick. And of course, they can also vary by attending by specific fields of surgery, but in general, they tend to be shorter. And so my sur- my friends going into surgery have said that, oh, the medicine rounds were, were really long and not, um, not easy because they had to stay walking around for a long time and it was easy to get antsy. But I think you, yeah, bring up a good point that not all internal medicine type rounds are that stereotypical four hour length rounds with like running up and down the stairs all morning. So yeah, thanks for clarifying about that. And I think just to add to your point about comparison with surgery, like surgery, you're also still standing for a long time. Think about where you like to stand. Do you prefer to stand in a hallway or do you prefer to stand at an operating table? Because kind of regardless of which field you pick, if you're between those two fields, you're going to be standing somewhere in the hospital. Yeah, definitely. I have vivid memories of standing in an OR for hours and trying to think of creative ways for how to not scratch my head when I had a scratch. (laughs) And so I much prefer standing, walking, even running throughout the hospital than standing for hours in an OR, but that's just my personal preference. Yeah. Um, That was really cool to hear about as someone who's not gone through a clerkship's yet. So, you know, we hear so much about all the things we have to do to, you know, get into med school. And once you're here, they're like, oh, well, now you have to prep for, you know, residency and trying to, well, A, figure out what you want to do and then making yourself a competitive applicant. So I'm curious what you did to make yourself as competitive as possible for what you were applying. Yes. So I think kind of something that's just a little bit of a fundamental truth of me as a person is I really will only sign up for things that I think I'm passionate about. And I feel like throughout all of medical school, I've been very true to myself about what is important to me. And so I didn't really approach activities as with a kind of, do I need to do this to match into a residency focus? It was more does this make me happy? And will this make me the type of physician that I'm aiming to be in the future? And I think if people approach activities and applications with more of that focus of like, is this going to help me become the type of doctor that I'm aiming to be, they'll find themselves doing things that they enjoy much more and getting a lot more out of it than signing up for things just because they feel like it's going to look good on a paper, you know? And so A few things that I think were key to kind of my application was mentorship. I was involved in a couple different mentorship projects, both at Stritch and outside of Loyola. And that's something that I feel like is is very important and something that I really hope to pursue further in residency, as well as service within the local community was a larger aspect of my application and something that got brought up a lot in interviews. And that that kind of service experience just actually fell into my lap and I kind of accepted it. it. And then it ended up flourishing into something 
really wonderful. So I guess a, a lesson from that would be to keep an open mind about if people approach you and say, Hey, have you thought about doing this? You never know what it can become. Even if in the beginning, it's something very small, it might become very meaningful to you. And lastly, I did do a little bit of research, but my research was actually within the psychiatry department. And I guess, you know, something from that is if you're applying internal medicine, I think it's more important to show that you're intellectually curious in general, more than just you're laser focused on something specific. You know, I think if you're applying ENT or DERM or ortho, you need really good research in all of those areas. But for internal medicine, I think they just want to see people that have a passion for like intellectual pursuit in general, because we did talk about my psychiatry research in some of my interviews, but nobody ever pushed back and was like, why did you do research within psychiatry? People were just interested in what the project was. That's really cool to hear about. And yeah, such a great approach just to, I'm sure it keeps you motivated also if you're like doing things you're naturally just interested in or leaning towards that and and discovering new things. Like you said, if someone, you know, offers you an opportunity that it's like always nice to explore it because you never know what it could turn into. Yeah. I mean, you can always get involved in something. And if you decide, hey, this isn't really for me, it's okay. Like it's okay to kind of pivot. But if you close doors right away, you never know what something could turn into. That's definitely true. So applying to residency is clearly, you know, difficult and has a lot of moving parts and factors to consider. And I think one of the main factors that a lot of people often worry about when approaching fourth year and approaching the application season is, is how to go about approaching um, and organizing one's M4 schedule with the balance between required rotations, perhaps away rotations, perhaps even some downtime to work on ERAS, et cetera. So can you please explain how you went about structuring your fourth year schedule with those factors in mind? Yeah, sure. So for me, I I knew that I wanted to do an away rotation because I was trying to match to a program in the Southeast in general. I was interested in moving to that area of the country, but I never really lived in the Southeast. I mean, Nebraska, Texas, and now Chicago, a variety of places, but never actually like the Southeast United States. And so in a way I thought would be a good way to show interest that, hey, I'm actually serious. I will leave the Midwest and come further south. But I would say I don't think that people applying internal medicine have to have away rotations at all. I've heard of people doing a few away rotations and I've heard of people doing zero away rotations. And everybody that I've talked to has been happy with how like the match went for them. So I don't think away rotations are crucial for internal medicine at all. They can be helpful. Like, you know, like I said, showing interest in certain locations, showing that you're serious about programs, but they can also be harmful because you have to consider that while you're there, it's basically a month long interview. So it's a, it's a balance of pros and cons. And I think there's really no one size fits all answer for away rotations, but knowing that I wanted to do an away rotation in the early fall, I wanted to feel like the ultimate preparation for before I could go into that. 
And so I structured my schedule to start off fourth year with the ICU rotation because I knew even though it would be hard to do that as a student at Loyola to start your fourth year, you know, in the ICU, I wanted to have experience with people that were critically ill and ventilator settings and pressers before I went to my away rotation. And I was thrown into that again because I wanted to have some skills under my belt. So I would highly recommend doing that if you're interested in doing an away rotation, try and do a rotation at your home program before you leave. That's a little bit more challenging and you know, you'll learn about topics that you may not have seen before. And then another thing to consider would be um, just sub eyes in general. If you're starting out fourth year and you don't have all of your letters of recommendation yet, it would be really important to do a sub eye earlier on in fourth year before the ERAS application opens so that you can have all of your letters done because you don't want to be waiting on letters. That wasn't really a factor for me because I had my letters from people that I met in third year. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think you touched on several considerations that that come into play when a fourth year student is planning their their schedule with residency applications coming up. So thank you. How do you think one can, you know, quote unquote, stand out or thrive, excel on IM rotations, whether those are IM away rotations or sub-internships on the wards or ICU? Um, From your experience and perhaps even observations you've made throughout our clinical years. I'm curious to hear what you think, you know, goes into a student doing really well on IM clinical rotations. So one of the biggest things for me to learn as an M3 doing IM was the expectation for medical student presentations versus resident presentations of patients is very different. Attendings know that residents know what's going on. Attendings do not know if a medical student is just reciting the note of the resident or if they actually put thought into their own plan. So I think one of the best ways to stand out as an M3 doing internal medicine is to really take ownership of your own plan and show that you fundamentally thought about it, which that means not just saying, hey, let's decrease the dose of their Lasix. It's saying we should decrease the dose of their Lasix because of X, Y, and Z. And if it's a fundamental event in the patient's life that can be backed up by evidence, like a journal article, if you know that there's a landmark study, you know, in the New England Journal relating to management of this X, Y, Z condition, say heart failure, it's okay to say, we should do this because I read this in this journal. People are very impressed with that. That's not something that I saw many residents doing, but when I started backing up my own plans with evidence and actually showing what I know, then I felt like attendings really saw that I was taking it seriously and that I was interested in the care of my patients. Another thing that I would recommend is if you know patients are having studies done that day um, that are important, residents have, you know, up to 10 patients at a time. And so if you are sitting there in the workroom and you can be on Epic 
refreshing to see like, was there CT scan done? What were the results? That can be really helpful and expedite patient care if you let the team know, oh, Mr. Smith's images are back and this was the report. Otherwise people might not check into it for a while. Um, the last thing I would say is, I guess, have the attitude that no task is really beneath you as a medical student. Like one patient became very endeared to me because I helped him order his lunch and no one else would do it. Like the nurses were too busy and they thought that he could order it for himself, but he was very old and had a hard time with the phone. And he ended up mentioning it to the team later on that I was so great that I helped him order his lunch, you know, but if I had had that attitude of, oh, that's not the job of a medical student, I'm going to be a doctor. I don't need to do that. I wouldn't have gotten that compliment from the patient that ultimately ended up making it into my final evaluation for internal medicine. I think those are all really great pieces of advice. Thank you for sharing. I really liked how you distinguished the type of an impressive M3 IM rotation from that of a resident. That's something really important to keep in mind as well for M3 IM rotations versus M4. Yeah. And I guess one thing I would add that since you brought up M4 and being successful as an M4 sub I would be knowing how to prioritize tasks. Um, it's a huge thing. That's not something that is really taught in medical school, but it makes for a more successful sub I, if you have, if you're following, I know that on my sub I, there was days that I was following up to eight general internal medicine patients and they all had lists, uh, list of tasks and being able to figure out how I was going to structure my day, which tasks were more important, being able to go back and forth between like completing this task for patient A and this task for patient B, that's really important and not something that you do so much as a M3. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good point as well. Yeah, that was really interesting and a perspective I've definitely not heard before. So I know you mentioned wanting to apply to programs primarily in the Southeast or wanting to end up there, but in general, how did you go about choosing internal medicine residency programs to you specifically and, and maybe how your classmates did it as well? Right. So I think a lot of people go with the approach of thinking kind of what what is their real end goal in their career, right? So people that want to do EP cardiology are going to have an extremely different approach than me who is interested in mixing hospitalist work with hospice and palliative care and like having children. Those are my goals, you know? So everybody, I think one big approach to interviews and program applications in general is just knowing that you can listen to what your classmates say and appreciate what they're saying and also recognize that, you know what? that doesn't really need to be my life because we have different goals. And so it's okay that I'm not applying to these programs because we don't want to end up at the same place at the end of the day. And that's a great thing because we need doctors in all sorts of different fields. And so just making peace with that and not playing the comparison game, I think lends for a much better fourth year in general. So people definitely think about where they want to end up both location wise and 
specialty wise, because all of that matters. If you want to do a competitive subspecialty, it's great to go to a hospital or a program that already has a fellowship program in that area, or that has a lot of connections to other programs that can help you get where you want to go. So looking at the residency match rates for their graduates into fellowship, I think is huge for a lot of people that say they like they want to do hemoc or cardiology or GI. Well, you go to the resident website, residency website, and you see how many people did they actually match into GI last year? You know, was it one or was it like five? That's kind of different. Um, but for me with my interests, that wasn't something I considered as much because I knew that my priorities were becoming a really good general hospitalist. And so I knew that I would get that sort of training if I trained at a large hospital. So I wanted to go to a program that was pretty much either the same size as Loyola or larger, where it was a tertiary or quaternary referral center with patients flying in from all over the state and neighboring states. That was that was really important to me because I knew that I would get to see a lot of pathology in that way. And I also wanted to work at a program where the people were really great because if you're spending so many hours a week with all of these individuals, I wanted to work with people that I liked. That was important. And I think it fundamentally creates a better residency if you work with people you consider to be your friends. And so I was really looking for programs that seemed like their residents were social and genuinely liked each other. And so the way that I kind of evaluated that was through social media. A lot of residencies now have Instagram pages and they do stories or like days in the life. And honestly, if a residency had a kickball team, I was like, wow, that is a huge perk because these are my type of people, you know? Um, but you wouldn't get that from just looking at like the program website necessarily. So I would say try and look at their social media too. And then lastly, for procedures, I knew that I wanted to go to a place where procedures would be encouraged and where I would be able to get all of the procedures I want, which is great. You know, large academic centers have very sick patients who usually need a lot of procedures, but something important to consider is, are the procedures going more towards the fellows or is it where residents are encouraged as well to do procedures? And something that I also learned along the way is don't just think that only large academic centers do procedures. There's a lot of smaller community programs where the residents are the only ones there and they have ICU level care. Um, I even interviewed at a community program that was like an ECMO center and all of their residents are doing it without any fellows. They just have attending support. So consider the program, you know, holistically that that would be my advice. No, that was great. Um, especially the, uh, the tidbit about social media, because I'm sure, you know, everyone will research the, the program's websites and, and try to get all the, the official, uh, information, but sometimes it's nice to see, you know, what do they do for fun or what's around the area and, and things like that, that you don't always think about, but are integral to your lifestyle later on. Cause you still, you know, we all aspire to achieve the work-life balance might take a bit, but <laughs> right. that's the goal. So Elizabeth, you applied to 
internal medicine residency this past year when the wakes of COVID were still in full force, including residency interviews being entirely over Zoom. So I'm wondering, do you have any particular tips or tricks for this virtual interviewing format? And were these interviews on Zoom similar or different from what you may have expected them to be like? So I think the virtual interview format, because you're not in the room with people, they there's just something about being in the same room with someone where you kind of like get the feeling, you know? So if you are a little bit more reserved, I think you have to put yourself out there a little bit even more on a virtual interview because you have a screen separating you. And so I think it's also really important to be aware of your body language on the screen and like your facial expressions. I mean, when you are doing kind of the group sessions at the interviews, usually people leave their cameras on and you can tell like, is someone engaged or are they looking at their phone? Mm -hmm. Um, that's very obvious actually. Another tip about virtual interviewing is, um, for going to the resident socials, if it's a program that you're seriously considering, I would recommend going and asking your genuine, honest questions because you are not going to be there in person and you're not getting the full experience as if you were there. So I think in order to make up for that, it's really important to consider genuinely what you want to know. Um, so I was asking things about like, what is your food stipend? What's your parking? Um, I'm getting married next month and it's important for me that like my spouse has friends. So I was asking, you know, for people that are for couples in your program who have spouses that aren't in medicine, how do you approach that? You know, did they make friends? All of those things are probably not really the typical interview questions, but because we weren't there in person, I felt like I really had to know what I was getting into. But overall, I think the interviews were similar to what I expected. And I don't think that my rank list would have changed that much going in person. And I do think that I was able to really convey who I was and what was important to me, just with the consideration that body language is really important and being honest in the social hours about like the questions that you had. That's really great advice for asking those unscripted questions of residents to really get a full holistic picture of their experiences there and experiences in the sense of outside of the hospital walls as well. That's great to keep in mind, I think, for our listeners about the the social events with residents and how they can be a really valuable opportunity to ask real up-close personal questions to residents about their lived experiences at the program. And really also good notes to keep in mind about, about the virtual interviewing process. Yeah, really cool to, to get new perspectives on. And I'm curious now, so like I know you've given us sort of advice throughout um, the interview, which has been really nice to listen to from this end. But what do you think is maybe the most important piece of advice or like really a standout thing that you would mention to students who are applying to IM? I think 
my biggest piece of advice would be really be honest with yourself about what you want for your life. Like think about when I'm 65 years old and I look back at my career, what do I genuinely want it to be like? Because the decisions that you make now with application cycle and residencies are going to have effects for many years to come. Not that you can't change course, but there's going to be an impact for the decisions that you make applying. And so I think the way that you're going to be happiest in the long term is if you really sit back and reflect and think about what is most important to you, not your classmates, not your family, not your mentors, but genuinely what you care about. I love that. And it's nice to be reminded, especially because we can get so in the nitty gritty of studying and trying to pass exams and do well on, on clerkships and everything that we sort of tunnel, have to get tunnel vision in the middle. And it's nice to be reminded to step back. So thank you for that. No problem. Elizabeth, I think that you've shared a lot of great advice and insights throughout our conversation. And I feel like this would be a good place to wrap up our discussion. But before we do that, I'm just wondering, would you be open to possibly sharing your contact information with our Medicus listeners if they may want to get in touch with you about applying to IM or discussing more any of the specifics of what you've shared on our talk today? Definitely. I am very happy to answer any questions related to internal medicine, medical school, the process of applying anything. I'm very passionate about mentorship and providing a genuine perspective on what this journey is like. I'm on Twitter at ElizabethMD15. The MD is not because I'm going to be a doctor. It's because my middle name is Marie and my last name is Drews. I just don't want to come off as pretentious. And then my email is elizabeth.drews97 at gmail.com. Great. Thank you so much for being willing to talk with any listeners seeking your advice. Thank you so much again for speaking with us today. It was great chatting with you. And I know I speak on behalf of all of our listeners that we've all learned really great insider advice for this process. Best of luck with your last month and a half or so of med school and then getting ready to make your big move. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.